What's up? How we doing? What's up, citizens? Welcome. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. I'm glad you guys survived the heat. I'm very proud to see everybody is alive and well. Thank goodness. I'm glad you guys are back. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's Wednesday night, which means it's the best night of the week. Come on, that's right. I love it. Our sixth graders, we need you guys to know, Wednesday nights are the best night of the week, and you guys are here now, and we're so glad that you guys are here. We're so glad that the new sixth graders have joined us over the past couple weeks, Um, but we are citizens. We are a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. We talked a lot about community last week, and we learned that uh, the only way to get true community is through Uh, humility. And when we're humble, when we act like Jesus, we actually build up the community that God would have us. And so that's our prayer here at Citizens. And uh, if you're a 6th through 12th grader, this is the place to be on Wednesday night. Every single Wednesday night, we're here, and I hope you are too. And uh, we are starting a new series. What? What's that? Some hype in the audience? New series? What? We're very excited. We are starting a new series called Summer of Life. Summer of life. Who's excited it's summertime? I mean, who has taken a trip? Yeah, come on. Let's give it up for summer. Yes, thank goodness. Who's taken a trip to the beach so far already? Like, okay, I love it. Who has gone on vacation maybe already? All right, cool. Who has jumped in a swimming pool? Yes, yes. These are the things of summer. This is what summer is for. This is what we love summer for. Summer's a time to relax. It's kind of a time to like put pause, to press pause on some things that we have responsibilities for in our like regular school year, aka homework, sports, other things like that. We kind of put pause on those things. And summer should be a season where we, it, it should be a really life-giving season. It should be a season, an opportunity where we can rest and we could take time uh, to readjust and to uh, process everything that has happened in the past year, right? That's what summer should be like. But I often see a problem sometimes with summers. I've seen this in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of other students. I have seen summertime as an opportunity for some people to press pause on everything. They press pause on their work. They press pause on their relationships. They press pause on their spiritual life. They close their Bible, and they maybe put it on a shelf for a couple months. You're like, well, my weekly rhythms have kind of been thrown off, and I'm just going to coast my way through my spiritual life over the next few weeks and months. And that's not what we want at Citizens. We want this to be a life-giving summer for you. But it's not going to be the life-giving summer that God desires it to be for you. If you put your Bible on the shelf, if you uh, deny community, if you take a couple Wednesday nights to yourself just because, you know, I've seen that happen sometimes in summer times, and we don't want that to be the case here at Citizens. And so that's why we're diving into a series called Summer of Life. Summer of Life. Jesus says something super, super cool in the book of John that is amazing. Jesus says that I have come so that they may have life and that they would have life to the abundance. That they would have life that is abundant, that is overflowing, right? Jesus says this. So he's not just coming to give us, you know, everlasting life, and he does do that, but he gives us life here on earth that should be abundant, that should be uh, abundant and overflowing, right? I picture somebody with a bucket, and there's just rain pouring down, or a a hose that is on, and it's just overflowing. I also think of somebody who's, like, carrying all their groceries because they refuse to take two trips, and they're just, like, 
they have an abundance of groceries, right? Just overflowing. I think that's the life that you and I desire. That's the life that we want. A life that is abundant. A life that is full. A life that is overflowing with life. How often do we as Christians describe our lives as like abundant? I got convicted thinking about that earlier. Man, what are the words I say when like I think of life? And I think of like when people are like, how's life right now? Oh, busy, you know, busy, uh, tiring, crazy. You know, these are all the words I use. When's the last time I've been like, man, life is just so abundant right now. Life is overflowing for me. Life is just overly abundant, everything that I want it to be right now. And friends, when you know Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, he invites you in to a life that is full of abundance. He invites you into a life that's not going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. We've talked about that. That's something that's very true. But he invites us into a life full of abundance. And everybody in this room is looking for life. Most people are looking for life. People are looking for uh, ways to make themselves happy. People are looking for life in friendships, in relationships, in, in many other things. But everybody in this room could say that they want a full, overflowing life. But we as humans have a problem. We as humans have a problem and an obstacle between us and this overabundant, overflowing life that Jesus has to offer us. Because we as humans are subject to trying to find abundant life in things that are actually just going to lead us to death. The world and our own sinfulness have set up a table and they have said, this is the thing that's going to really fill you up. And as we buy into those temptations from the world or our own sinfulness or from the enemy, as we buy into those temptations, we recognize that sin can never deliver on its promises. And as we consume the things of sinfulness or of the world, we recognize that we are actually starving for something deeper. And the world tells you to find life. And the world says there might be a couple obstacles in your way, but you can overcome those obstacles and you can get the life that you need to live, and that you want to live. The spirit of the age or the world society would tell you right now that there is, okay, if you have, a, you know, an obstacle right now, it could just be confidence. You need to have more confidence. And then you can conquer that job. You can conquer that relate. You can do whatever you want. Just like you need, you, here's a book on uh, confidence, how to have confidence, right? Or maybe uh, the world will tell you, you know what, you just need a relationship. Like you need emotional or physical affection from another individual. And like whatever that person's like and, and, and however you feel free to engage in that relationship, go for it. It's going to bring you life. It's going to bring you happiness, right? body image or intellect or whatever, the world says these are the kind of little hurdles that you have to jump over. And, and, and once you conquer those things, you'll be fine. You'll find abundant life. And then the world continues and even encourages us to rewrite the narrative of what is abundant life, to rearrange our priorities. The world would tell us to completely flip our perspective and say, well, you know, there are certain standards that we used to have, but whatever your standard looks like, go for it. Life, abundance, awesome. And we listen to these things, and we kind of think of those things, and we think of friends or family members or moments where we've heard things like that. But all of those things, all of the things of the world and the enemy lead us to a place that we never wanted to be. Because Jesus offers us life and life to the abundance. 
But when we engage in the things of the world, when we engage in sin, we realize that we are just caught in something that not only is it not life, it is the exact embodiment of death. The world can never quite live up to the promises that it promises you and I. It's not only not abundant life, it is engaging with things that would bring us death. And friends, you and I have access through true life through Jesus Christ. And so that is why we are going to be studying in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, for the next eight weeks. We're diving into Romans chapter 8 for eight weeks. And Romans chapter 8 is all about life in the Spirit. The true life that Jesus has offered us, that Jesus has promised us, is only found when we turn from our sins, embrace Jesus through faith, and live in the light of his Holy Spirit and his grace. And so that's where we're going to be tonight. Well, actually, that's not true. We have to set the stage a little bit for Romans chapter 8. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. And we're going to be diving into one of the most theologically dense books of the entire Bible. And so I have you guys do this sometimes, but I need you to reach under your seat and pull out your theology hats. Yes, sixth graders, they're under the seats. Yes, I promise you. They're, yeah, they're imaginary. I made that up. So everybody, pick up your imaginary theology hat and put it on. We're going to need it when we're in Romans, because there's going to be some deep, dense theological things tonight that we're going to discuss and we're going to talk with, and we're going to talk through. But I don't want you to lose focus. I don't want you to lose heart if you don't understand it. God's Spirit's guiding us and directing us. I'm going to preach it as best as I can. But we're diving into that tonight, and we need to uh, understand what the, what the, how the scene is set for uh, Romans chapter 8. In order to do that, we're going to dive into Romans chapter 7. The world tells you you might have a couple little problems here or there. You just need to overcome them. Perfect life. But Paul tells us probably the exact opposite of what the world would tell us. And Paul tells us that it's not a bunch of little mini problems and you have to dig deep within yourself to fix those problems. Paul says we have one massive problem between us and abundant life. And the problem is within ourselves. And the problem is sin. And the problem is that we engage in sinful activities. We willingly rebel against God. And when we do that, We are putting a divide. We are separating ourselves between us and the abundant life that Jesus promises. So that's the title of our message today. One big problem. We have one big problem, friends. And as we study this, as we dive into it, I want you to remember and and, and listen to this message with the lens of the gospel. And I'm going to teach these things. We don't hide these things, and we're certainly not apologizing for every, anything that is written here. But this is a very intense passage, and it really dives into the reality of sin and to the reality of why we need a Savior. So if you're ready, let's buckle up. If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read the first little bit, and then we're going to pray. It says this in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
No, if I do, do, if I, uh, do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. One big problem. One really big problem. But we serve a big God. Let's pray and then dive in. Uh, we love you, God. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to teach you this. Thank you that you're offering us life. Uh, everybody is desiring life in this room, God. But we're not all looking towards the right place to find the true source of life. God, I pray for the people in this room right now who don't have a correct view of sin. I, pr- I pray that their eyes would be open during this message. I pray that uh, we would uh, be humble right now as we receive these words that you have written and that you are speaking to us tonight. We love you. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we've already established the people who are in this room, we want and we are desiring life. We are desiring uh, to have a life full of happiness and joy. There are people in this room who have all different desires, all different plans for their future, but we all desire a life that is full of abundance and a life that is full of joy. And in this passage, we see a very clear calling for us to recognize sin for what it is. In this passage, I find verse 17 really interesting. So now it's no longer I who do it. He's talking, Paul, of course, about the things he doesn't want to do. It's not the things, uh, you know, it's not me that is doing those things, for I know that nothing good dwells within me. It is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells with me. That is, that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, context here. We have to remember context uh, for Romans chapter 8, and of course for the entirety of Romans. Paul is a uh, first century uh, Jewish leader who has had a radical encounter with Jesus, and now he is not the same anymore. And he is setting up an argument for uh, the fellow believers in Rome, and often fellow uh, Jewish believers in Rome, to recognize and understand that they are no longer bound to the law anymore. They're no longer bound to the law. And so you read, uh, you know, verse 14, and you say, okay, for we know that the law is spiritual. I'm already lost. What are we talking about? What is the law? So if you know, uh, maybe you don't know, the law is, uh, is what God gave his people, the Israelites. God made a covenant with his people. God has a standard of living. God has a righteous and holy way. And he graciously has communicated these truths to his people. And so I want you to picture, I want you to remember, maybe you saw it on a flannel graph as a kid or in, you know, an episode of uh, Veggie Tales or Bible Man or whatever. I want you to picture Moses coming down the mountain with a face that is bright because he's been with the Lord and he has in his hands the Ten Commandments, the law. This is the law. This is the Mosaic law that Paul is referencing here. Paul wasn't there when, uh, you know, uh, Moses came down from the mountains. This is years later, a long time has passed. Jesus has come. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And now Paul is processing through this, probably very personally, as a person who memorized the Torah, as a person who would have been complimented for how well he knew what was written on those pages. And now Paul is saying things in verse 4. Listen with me. He's saying things like this. My brothers, you have died to the law, though the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. What 
you have died to the law through the body of Christ, is what Paul says in verse 4. This is unbelievable. So he is constructing this argument. He's saying this law that uh, uh, Christians or this law that the people of Israel were bound by, he's saying they're no longer, we are no longer bound by that, but we're bound to somebody else, and that's Jesus. We are bound to Jesus Christ. And that is his whole, ugh, his whole argument here in this chapter. He's mentioning these things, and he is uh, dwelling over these things. And he draws the very uh, real reality that the law itself isn't bad. The law itself isn't bad. For we know that the law is spiritual. So, uh, you know, he is debating. He's kind of going back and forth in this passage. He's saying, am I saying that the law, the thing that God gave us, was the thing that was causing me to sin? He says, no, absolutely not. The law did, however, show me that I had no desire to actually follow the law. Because that's our first point here tonight. In our flesh, we cannot desire to do what is good. We can't desire to do what is good to the point where we actually go out and do it. That's where the story starts. It's not where the story ends, and we're going to talk about that. But this is where our story starts. Not wanting, not desiring to do the work of God. Not desiring to do the things that God is calling us to do. And we see this back and forth, this wrestling. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And so again, scholars go back, on for, back and forth on whether uh, Paul is talking about his former life, whether he's talking about his life as an unbeliever, or whether he is talking about seasons of his life as a new believer. And I'm not going to pretend to know and tell you definitively what specifically, you know, which side I am on or, or whatnot. But I do know that both in the, both of these scenarios, the problem is the same, and that is sin. The reality of sin is the thing that is separating us from God. Whether uh, you are not know, whether you don't know Jesus yet, you are not following after Jesus yet, and you would be able to say you're a slave to sin, or whether you've been following Jesus for a while and things have uh, gone astray and things are going really difficult right now and you're not following closely with the Lord. Whatever it is, whichever season you are in right now, we do know the problem is the same, and that is sin. Because in our flesh, we cannot desire to do good to the point where we actually go out and do those things. Because it's crazy to think that we, we may know what is good, right? You may have a knowledge of what would be right. You may have an understanding of what you should do. Paul was a guy who probably memorized a big chunk of Scripture, if not all of the Torah. He knew it, but he is admitting very, very clearly here, hey, even though I knew it was right, I didn't actually desire, and I desired, but I couldn't actually go through with it. I couldn't get from my head to my heart to my hands. It wasn't a thing I could do on my own. Friends, the desire to live for God comes from God. It's one of these crazy, like, mind-blowing moments when you recognize God and His sovereignty. When the Lord has revealed Himself to you, when you have that encounter with Jesus, that, in that moment— we have the ability to know, think, feel, and do because of Jesus. Not because of anything that we wanted, not because of anything we desired, but because of Jesus. In our flesh, we cannot desire to do what is good. We cannot fulfill 
good things in our flesh. That's where the story starts. That's where the story starts. Again, Paul, in his context, he's processing all the things that he has seen. He is recognizing and he is telling the Jewish Christians, he is saying, hey, you are no longer bound to this thing. You are no longer bound to the law. The law is spiritual, a.k.a. it is not causing me to sin. But what did the law do? What did the Mosaic law, these commandments that I couldn't keep, that I knew in my head but didn't apply to my weekly life, what did those things show me? They illuminated my need for help. They illuminated my need for a Savior and my sin. That's what Paul is saying here. Because he is remembering that he still has a big problem. He knew what was right. He had an idea what was right. But all the law did was illuminate his need for something more. And this is where our story starts. This is where all of our story starts in this room. Because the journey to abundant life starts with us realizing that sinfulness will keep us far from God. If you're lost in the woods and you're walking down the wrong path, but you don't know that you're lost, you're just going to keep walking. If you're sick, if there's a disease or something inside of you, but you don't know that it's inside of you and you're not aware of it, you're not going to seek help. And friends, we preach about sin. We talk about sin because it's a very real thing in Scripture. And we, we preach against sin and we talk about how detrimental it is because until you know you're a sinner, you're not going to know that you need a Savior. Until you truly, honestly, because of God's Holy Spirit, come to terms with the reality of, I need help. I may know what is good, but I can't actually do it. I need help. Until you get to that moment, you'll never recognize your need for a Savior. That's where our journey to abundant life starts, recognizing that we have a problem. There's a massive obstacle in the way, and that's sin. The problem isn't the law. The problem isn't that law was pretty harsh, God. Maybe you should have just like lowered your standard. No, the problem has always been sin. The problem's always been inside of us. It's not from the world. It's not from a lack of understanding or a lack of sensitivity. There's one person that you can point to in this room who is the problems and is causing all the problems for you, and that's yourself. You can point to yourself as the problem. So that's where our sin starts. And Paul is hashing this out. He is saying these things. For I do not understand my own actions. Again, we talked about it before. Certainly before you, you, before you and I knew Jesus, that's where we were. We weren't even at the point where we could understand we needed saving. So we didn't understand why we did or how we did it. And maybe you're in this room right now and you're following after Jesus and you love him, but you sometimes feel like that. Maybe sometimes you feel like that. And I want to encourage you. I want you to know that you are no longer a slave to sin if you know Jesus. You may be in a valley. You may be in a different, uh, difficult problem right now. You may be uh, struggling with your faith. But you are not where you were before you met Jesus. So that's important to know. That's important to keep in mind as Paul is constructing this argument. So we continue on here in verse uh, 19. It says this, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. His frustrations continue. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I find it to be a law 
that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Many references here to the law. Many references here. And this is the thing that he is preaching against. This is the thing that he is uh, speaking against and he is reminding his new Christians, his new friends of. And you might read that passage and you might see some of those words, evil, death, bondage, You might see him say, uh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you might think, okay, this is all like kind of dramatic. Like maybe uh, this is a little over ambitious of Paul to be saying all these things. But friends, we need to view sin appropriately. You and I need to view sin appropriately. I think this passage illuminates that very, very well for us. Verses 19 and 20, he is uh, continuing to double down on his argument. The reality that um, he is knowing and understanding what is good, but he does not have the ability to do it. He doesn't have the ability to overcome this mountain of sin that is in front of him. He doesn't have the right words. He doesn't have the right thoughts. He doesn't have the right practices in order to climb and conquer this mountain of sin. And even when you're a Christian, it can feel like that some days, and the Lord has rescued us from that thing. But before we know Jesus, that's exactly where we are. Captive to sin, stuck before sin, captivated and in bondage of sin. And how many of us in this room tonight want abundant life, but we are running on empty because we constantly return to sin for whatever reason in our lives? Even though we know Jesus, even though we're trying to follow after Jesus, how many of us in this room are honest enough to say, you know what, I return to sin. I continue to return to sin day in and day out. Sure, I'm not as bad as other people, right? Or I'm not going as far as I could. But how often do we return to sin? Friends, our sin needs to be viewed appropriately. Are these words dramatic? Is Paul just kind of having a moment? No, these are the inspired words of God. This is our appropriate review and our appropriate response to sin. It is sin that dwells within me. It's important to remember. Paul doubles down on his argument. He does this a couple times. And I hope nobody in this room has been listening tonight to these truths and you're under the illusion that, you know, my sin isn't really like a big issue right now. My sin isn't like, Uh, like a super big issue right now. But friends, our journey to true life starts when we recognize the true source of life. Yes, Jesus. But we also recognize that the journey to true and abundant life does not contain a constant return to sin. We've been delivered from that thing as Christians. Why would we return to it? Why would we return to it? It's not something that we do. It's not something that we can do. 
We have to view sin appropriately. And when we view sin appropriately and when we recognize the true source of life, Jesus, that's when we run to him. That is when we run to his feet. That's when we recognize that he is always there for us. He is always able to offer us forgiveness. But we need to recognize sin appropriately. Look at these words that he says. My inner being, but I see the members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in me. Sin needs to be viewed appropriately, friends. These words, captive, bondage, death, these are all pretty serious words right here. I think of it like this. Sometimes we as Christians, we want to experience the abundant life. We want to experience the joys and the blessings that come with following the Lord. But we also like want to kind of create our own rules and kind of create our own little like sidelines into sin. We want to kind of create our own little uh, excuses as to why we sin sometimes. And we start to like play around with sin. We start to recognize sin as not that significant. But we need to view these words. We need to be reminded of these words. Imagine if somebody, and I've kind of used this analogy before, but imagine if somebody one day came up to you and is like, hey man, do you want like a little bit of poison on your cake before, you know? And you're just like, what did you say? He's like, yeah, do you want like a little bit of poison? It's not a lot, but like it's a little bit. You're like, "Um, I would like 0% of poison, please, and thank you, is hopefully your appropriate response. Or someone's like, hey man, do you want like just a little bit of suffering? Do you just want like a little bit of pain? And you're like, uh, 0%, please, and thank you, and stop asking me weird questions, right? Do you want a little bit of death? I don't know why we think that the opposite of life, life in Jesus, is like a little bit like lesser life. It's just like not as cool and like God will forgive me. No, no, the opposite of life is death. And so when we choose to engage in sin, we choose to engage in death. Let it not be so. Let it not be so. And Paul is wrestling with this. Paul is thinking about probably his own life and his own experience with the law and recognizing the grace of Jesus. But the reality of our one big problem, our one big problem being in our own sinfulness, in our own sinfulness, we will never be able to experience the true life that God offers us. Our own sinfulness stands between us and true life. So I've been talking tonight, and like I said, I promised, I hope I delivered on this promise, that this was intense. This was a lot of things. These are a a lot of ideas thrown around here. And we recognize that Paul is imploring his listeners to understand that they're no longer captives to uh, the Mosaic law. And we see here In verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. And if you're in this moment right now, and you feel convicted about certain sins, if you feel confused, if you feel upset about certain things that you have done, I want you to follow along with me for the next couple passages, the next couple of verses. Because it's important to teach about sin. It's important to understand what God's word has to say about sin. It's not a little bit of less life. It is leading us to death. It is the thing that is separating us from dwelling and being with God on a daily basis. And Paul says, wretched man that I am. And in that moment, he says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
He continues in with this struggling. He says he wants to serve the law of God with his mind, but with his flesh, he serves the law of sin. And so you're at this moment, and you're like, oh my goodness, is, this, is there any good news in this message? Is there any good reality to this life? Is there anything that I can do to overcome this? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. We have a big problem. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Problem solved. If you know Jesus, you're not condemned to sin and death. If you know Jesus, you are not stuck in sin and death anymore. If you don't know who Jesus is, I love you. I want to pray with you. I want to tell you about who he is. But Christian, in the room, if you are in Jesus, there is no condemnation. The weight of the law, the weight of sin, these things that make us feel uncomfortable— Right? The Holy Spirit prying on our hearts, illuminating sins to us. We are reminded in the first verse, one of the most incredible verses in all of Scripture, there is therefore, because of all the things we read, because of how Jesus has come and how we are no longer bound to this standard of living, these, these things, this law, we are no longer captive to those things, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is freedom. There is no longer bondage. We have access to that freedom. We have access to that life, and we are no longer condemned. I don't want to dive too far into it because that's where we're starting next week. That's where we're picking up we're spending the next seven weeks right here in Romans chapter 8, life in the Spirit. But it starts with us recognizing that we have a big problem. That big problem is sin. But we, friends, have a big Savior, and He solved the problem that you couldn't. He solved the problem that you couldn't. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We're no longer separated. We're no longer lost. If you know Jesus, that massive big problem, which is very real and can creep up in our lives from time to time, but that massive problem is solved because of our amazing Savior. And you can walk through this life being confident in knowing that you are not condemned if you are found in him. If you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you about him. If you're feeling convicted, if you're feeling anything right now about Jesus, you're thinking about Jesus, I want to pray with you. I want to talk with you after this service. But Christian, be encouraged. There is no condemnation. When the enemy would say that you're not living the way that you should be or you're just going to be a mistake for the rest of your life, in God's grace and God's mercy, you can remember Christ's sacrifice and say, yes, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our reality. That's where our uh, journey to abundant life starts. We're going to see in the next couple of verses here in Romans chapter 8 that the word spirit is mentioned 21 times in the next few verses. 21 times. 
in Romans chapter 8. And life is mentioned five times. And the, cor- the correlation between life and spirit, it can't be overlooked. We have true life. We have abundant life through Christ and his Holy Spirit. That's the reality that we have. Man, I hope you're not running on empty tonight. I hope you're not trying to cultivate enough good thoughts or enough good deeds to get you through the next day. I hope you're not feeling like that you uh, are, are, are just working your way to a new level of holiness. I pray that you'd be convicted of sins, that you'd recognize those sins, but you would turn from those and you would embrace Jesus by faith and you would know that it is he who lives within you and it is him who is dwelling in you and creating you into the image of his likeness and that there's no condemnation for the people who are doing that. That's the life we get to live. That's what we're focusing on this summer. That's what we're studying, and that's what we're believing to be an impactful study, an impactful word for us over the next few weeks. So I'm very excited for this. There's no condemnation for you and for me. Big problem, sin, death. Big problem, our own sinfulness stands between us and true abundant life. But we have a big Savior, and he has done what we could not do ourselves. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're thankful for this word. God, I pray that we would be convicted in the areas we need to be. I pray that we wouldn't look at sin as this minor thing that we can just return to whenever we feel like it. I pray that we would be not condemning ourselves or listening to the voice of the enemy, but would we be proud and confident that there is no condemnation when we are found in you. God, thank you for doing the very thing that we couldn't do. Thank you for living a perfect life, for dying on the cross and rising again for the glory of God, for the glory of your Father, but for our salvation as well. We love that reality. Help us be joyful about that reality. Help us to sing about that reality. Help us to encourage one another with that reality. God, I pray that we wouldn't go to the things of this world, the things that the enemy, the things that this world would say are good. Would we recognize those things as sin and would we recognize those things as death? But would we be welcomed into your presence? Would we be overflowing with an abundant amount of life and joy because of your Holy Spirit and only through your Holy Spirit? We love you. We're thankful for this life through the challenges, through the bad times, through the good times. We're gonna sing to you. We're gonna praise you. That's what we get to do. Help us to see that as our opportunity tonight. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray.